Father, I want to thank you for the love that you have for community, for church, for people, for people praying, for people that are willing to forego comforts of home and family and to travel to a, uh, a place that's unknown to do your will, to serve you. Father, thank you for the blessings that we wake up to every day. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see those blessings, that you'd give us a heart to give them away. Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I'm very often amazed, I don't know why I'm amazed, about the scripture. And, and maybe I'm getting older and uh, I, you know, I've read through them so many times. And um, this is the revelation of who God is here. But yet, it's the revelation of who God is in the context of who we are. And as the church, as Christians, we can't ignore the word of God. It's, it's always kind of there for us, inviting us in. God calling to us, engage this revelation. Engage what I'm revealing to you about myself. And there's, we ebb and flow. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we're like all on board. But it's a very personal invitation. Our God is a very personal God. In fact, we're going to see one verse later on this morning, verse 9 of Genesis 3, where where he, he, he speaks out to Adam and Eve, where are you? There's this very personal call to it. You know, I, I, love, the, I love when God, this is just a rabbit trail, but bear with me. I, I love when God asks a question. Because when we ask questions, usually we're looking for clarification. We're looking for information. We might be wanting to know something that we don't know. But God doesn't ask a question because he doesn't know what the answer to the question is. I believe that God asked the question to get us to think about the answer to the question. Where are you is a very good question that God would ask his people, not necessarily a geographical location type of thing. But he's forcing us, this personal God, to think about what he is asking us. And Adam and Eve, they they were personally interacting with God while they were in the garden. And so this, this, this book, these pages, are filled with a God, a personal God, who is personally involved with each one of us, who desires to be involved with all of his creation. There's this, this invitation. Where are you? Where are you? Maybe that's the joy of the Lord, is his desire of intimacy with, with us. And so we've been working through the beginning of this revelation, Genesis. And we've been in Genesis 3 for the last couple weeks. And what I thought we would do is together as a community, I would like us to read together, to stand, because we are reading the Word of God, and read together the first six verses of Genesis. So why don't we stand up together, and let's read the Word of God together as a community. Now the serpent was...
It's the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you. We've been unpacking this for the last few weeks. This is a story of humanity. Humanity has fallen. We have gone our own way. We have tried to plot our own course through this world, through this life. In the garden, in spite of all that God had given to Adam and Eve, they decided to rebel against him and do things for themselves. They, they took as truth the words of a liar. They took as truth the opinion or the hearsay of a liar and they acted upon that lie and they suffer the consequence of that action and we have been suffering that consequence ever since. The world around us has been suffering in that consequence ever since. We defy to this day our world, our cultures, plural, still defy God. We still rebel against him. We still push against him. That we know the right way. We, we doubt his power. We doubt his goodness. We continually rely on our own understanding for how things should go. How things need to kind of unfold in our lives. And in the direction that we need to go to. See the garden, these verses play themselves out over and over and over again within our world. And I would say even within the church. Let's be realistic. We're not free from sin. We're just redeemed. You know, as I've been pressing into this and in, in studying, uh, especially chapter 3, and study means not just reading it, but just reading about it, I become more and more intrigued at how this speaks to the human condition that we see today, the, the, the world that we live in. It really pulls no punches and gets to the heart of the matter. And again, it, it plays itself out. I mean, I see it playing itself out in my life. And I'm like, oh my goodness, for real. I'm a pastor for Pete's sake. I should be above all this. It's a joke. You're not laughing. Note to self, don't joke about being a pastor. Oh, never mind. And I'm wondering, I often wonder how people can look at the scripture, especially stories like this, and say, no, it has nothing to do with humanity or the world. Here's the story of how we walked away. How we decided to go at it on our own. And what I want to do is I want to continue in this story of Genesis. Because I I do believe it, it has a lot to say to us as the church and as the world today. Verses 6 and 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I find it very interesting that the first consequence of sin in the garden by Adam and Eve was the realization that they had lost something. That something, something has, was, was lost from them or taken from them or that they, there was this uncovering in a sense. Their eyes were open. They realized that they were now naked. Now, if you read the scholarship on all this... Many people kind of bounce and they're trying to figure out what does this actually mean, this, this realization of nakedness. And, and I believe that as the church, as, as people, 
who engaged the Word of God, and I hope you're engaging the Word of God. We need to come down on a spot of understanding for us. And so that's what I have done, and I'm not saying in 10 years from now it may change, but I have come down on, on what, what kind of makes sense in my heart and in my spirit. They realize they're naked. Some would say they lost their innocence, like a little baby who runs around naked and doesn't care. But I think there's much more to it than just the loss of innocence. Because there's this very interesting verse in Philippians chapter 3 that for me begins to shed light on it. Philippians 3.21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so, they, so that they will be like his glorious body. I was talking about Jesus. The lowly body is our body. The glorious body is the body of Jesus. In the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, they were made in his image. There was this spiritual righteousness about them as they lived in the garden. And so within that spiritual righteousness, there was also a a physical righteousness. We were made, they were made in the image of God. I'm not saying that God has a body, but there was something about that, that, um, something about Adam and Eve that is much different from the people that we are today. There was a certain righteousness about them that was lost when sin came in. So when sin comes in, when they decide to go their own way, that spiritual righteousness was gone because they chose to go against against the word of God. And somehow in that, the, the, the physical righteousness that they had was now gone. They, they, they had a broken spirit. And now for some reason, these bodies that we have need to be covered. Something was lost in the garden. They realized that they were naked. Something went missing. The physical glory of the Lord was no longer around them and about them. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was something different about his body. He was raised bodily. There was something different about Adam and Eve. And when sin entered, it changed. Something changed. There was a loss. I believe every one of us in the world, we have that sense of loss in us. Every person feels like they're missing something. Some, some realize that more than others, certain degrees, certain seasons in our life. But there's always this, this perpetual feeling like there's, there has to be something more. There has to be, there has to be something better. There, are there any other possibilities? And we as people, we've been searching for it ever since. Ever since the garden. Ever since that fateful day, as the poet Bono would write, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And isn't that true for all of us? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And, and we say, why? Well, because we can't get it back on our own. It, it, can't, it can't be restored through our own efforts, through our own searching. And yet that thing inside us, it still hungers for it. And we're, and we're continually searching for it, the bigger picture. What is it? What is it? Sometimes we don't even know what's missing. But we're still looking for whatever it is that's, that's missing. 
I believe that, 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 that sense, that hunger, that loss is the residue of who we once were before the fall. That glory that we walked in, intimacy of God. We shared in that glory, not in a complete way, but in a way that's very much different today than it was then. I mean, haven't you, haven't you ever felt in your, in your spirits that, that like, life was meant to be lived with joy and passion and peace and love and acceptance? I mean, I mean, don't you, don't you just have that, like, like, it's almost like ingrained in our DNA. But somehow, somehow it's been taken away and all we can do is kind of ebb and flow. We get dribs and drabs of it here and there. But, but, but it seems like it should be, it should be the, the purpose of who we are, those things. And I would say that, that, <laughs> that we as people, man, we live a restless life trying to find it. We live a restless, there's a restlessness in us trying to get there. And we look for ways to bring that to us. And, and there all seem to be external ways. Stuff and money and things and relationships and people and, and whatever we can get to try to make us happy, try to give us that peace, that joy, that fullness. But it's always, it always is ultimately like right there. It's like the carrot that we just can't get our hands on. It's all with, it's, it's, it's within us. The sense of completeness and incompleteness and, and restlessness. And we just kind of fall into life sometimes doing what we do. Hoping that somewhere along the way, we'll find it. Whatever it is. Maybe I can sum it up this way, that we are continually trying to get back something we know is gone, but sometimes we don't even know what it is that's gone. Adam and Eve felt the loss. They felt the loss. And they decided they had to do something about it. They had to cover what now was exposed, verse 7. They didn't know what to do, so they did. They had to do something. And they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. To cover in an effort to, to try to hide what was revealed. And the world has been sowing fig leaves together ever since. Trying to hide our mistake. Trying to hide our nakedness. Trying to replace in some way what we've lost. See, Adam and Eve began to reason because she thought that the tree was, was good for wisdom. And they began to think beyond the revelation of what God had given them. And use their own knowledge. And they said, we need to fix this. Something is wrong here. We need to try to fix what's broken and we do the same thing. The same thing in our world. We try to fix what is broken. And we don't even know how deep the brokenness goes. It's really broken. And so we, we as people, we rely on our own wisdom and our own knowledge. And we establish philosophies which, which enable ideologies, which create cultures. And we think that all of these things put together, we're going to fix we're going to get back what we've lost. We're going to fix the problem. It helps us to, to deal with the way life is. The hardships of life. The confusion in life. The, the brokenness that we experience. We, we sow the fig leaf of philosophy, ideology, technology, cosmetology. 
trying to cover what we've lost. Trying to fix and bring back what it is. We sow the fig leaves of politics, believing we can legislate our way back to the garden. It's our way to deal with it. It's our way to try to figure this out. We're not different from Adam and Eve. We recognize something is lost and our fig leaves have gotten more technical. But in the eyes of God, it's still a fig leaf. See, we're all trying to deal with this sense that, that life is more. That there's something more. We're all on this search to try to get there and find it. And what's even more troubling to me is that we have not thrown away the spiritualness of, of who we are. And what becomes very dangerous is we begin as humanity to sow the fig leaf of religion together and spirituality and see we've walked away from the one true God who can cover our sin. And we just sow and we create many other different gods, gods to our liking, gods that become convenient. And the world we see today laughs at the Christian. They believe in God. But the world also creates all of their own gods, God after God after God. And they worship those gods. And they think that that God is going to bring them what they've lost, when yet they don't even know what they've lost. See, the story of Adam and Eve is the story of all of us. Our story is their story. Their story is our story. Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I think in every person, I believe in every person, we carry around with us a sense of fear, a sense of, of, of guilt, maybe, maybe, maybe of shame. It's, it's all in within us. The devil said to Adam and Eve, listen, that God of yours, his, his bark is way worse than his bite. You're not going to die. Just, just do whatever you want. Have at it. And so they believed it. They did whatever they wanted, and it didn't end well. And when they heard God coming, what did they do? They hid themselves. They were fearful at that point. They learned fear. They learned shame. And now maybe, maybe you, well, you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I, I don't fear. I'm, I'm not afraid. I, I definitely don't hide. But, but I would counter it and I would push in a little deeper and say this. How many of us, how many of us are truly, completely, 100% open with who we really are, our true self? There's always that part of us that, that keeps that one little thing hidden. Why do we keep it hidden? Because we're fearful of what people might say, of what people might think, of what, of what other, or, or even we're fearful of what we might turn into. We all have that fear within us, and we hide it, and we hide our true selves. Oh, if they only knew what was really going on inside me. And that posture begins to develop into other areas of our life. And some people, they don't believe in sin. They're a good person. 
They don't believe in a God that's going to judge them in any harsh way. Some people don't believe in God at all. But yet in all of us, we carry around this, this, this voice of accusation, the voice of condemnation. It whispers. It echoes. And so we look to the fig leaf. In our culture, the self-help fig leaf is always good, but it was never supposed to work. Any self-help material you engage, it's not supposed to work. Because if it would work, then it would end a $9 billion a year business in the United States. It's like inventing a light bulb that never burns out. Why would you do that? But maybe, maybe just maybe we can quiet that voice in our head just a little bit. Push it aside. Maybe, maybe it's not so loud. Maybe we convince ourselves that, that, no, 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 it, it, it's not so bad. But for whatever reason, the voice kind of rears itself up again and, and it speaks into our brain. And then before we know it, we're back to giving ourselves over and falling prey to our own lusts and our desires and our selfishness and, and the darkness that lives within each one of us. And we go for the fruits. Did you ever notice, I mean, I've noticed, but did you ever notice that once you get the forbidden fruit, it's never as good as you thought it was before you had it? It's never quite as tasty when you get it. And then when we get it, that voice comes back in our head again. The voice of fear and guilt and shame. And it gets louder and it wants its due diligence and it's, it's kind of echoing in there. And so what do we do? We sew our fig leaves together to cover it up, to hide it. You know, as a culture, we want God to be gone. I think it's evident. But it seems like we just can't get rid of him. It's almost like he's sovereign or something, you know? He, like, he just doesn't go away. And I do believe it's because deep down within every person... Every single person, we carry this, this sense of, of him because we have been created in his image. And though we are broken image bearers at this point, there's still that, 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 that piece of him that's in each one of us. And we can try to argue it away. We can ignore it away. We can bury it deep. But it never goes away. It's always just there. And in it, and being there, we live as a species. We live in this fear of, of, of judgment. Now, now, hear me out on this. This is why I believe this to be true, that we fear ultimate judgment. Now, people can talk it away. People can bury it away. People can be like all arrogant, like whatever. But I've got to talk to a lot of people over a lot of years in my line of work. And there's this inherent fear of death in the world. Like, like death is that thing that we, we don't control as much as we want to control it. Like, like I go to the gym and take vitamins, not because I want to live longer, because I want to die healthy. My days have been ordained by the Lord. I'm not going to live longer. I'm going to live exactly what he has ordained me to live. 
But we don't like death and, and we fear it. It's the great unknown. And, and for the Jesus follower, it, it's, it's not unknown. We know what lies beyond it. But for, but for the people that, that don't know Christ, it is, it is a fearful thing. We don't even like to talk about death. Sandy and I went out for a bite to eat Friday night. And, um, well, actually, Friday during the day, I, I was on Facebook. And I know, don't judge me. But I was on Facebook, and um, there was this last words of 20 celebrities before they died. And so I went through them all. You know, there were some big names in there, like John Wayne. And, and um, okay, so I don't remember any of the other ones. But, um, but, but some of them were really touching, like some of them like looked into their, like said beautiful things to their loved ones and like, you know, what a ride this has been. I've got, you know, no regret, all of these things. And so Sandy and I went out for a bite to eat and it was really weighing, not weighing on me. I was just thinking about it. And so after dinner, we went out for a walk around, you know, Southington and, and, and I told her about it. And I said, you know, before I die, I want to look into your old wrinkled face. And, and when that left my mouth, well, it was, it sounded much more romantic in my brain, but, but when it... Okay, so it wasn't the best, but, but my heart was like, I want to grow old with her. You, you know what I mean? So, so that's, that was my, in my spirit. I said, but I want to look, look, and I want to tell you that I love you, and then I want to die. He's like, oh, that's a horrible thing to say. And I didn't know if it was the wrinkled part or, or the dying part, but later we got to, it was, it was both. But, but we don't even like to talk about death. When my grandmother was dying of cancer, she was in hospice. I was sitting by her bedside, reading her the Psalms. My grandfather came over and said, stop reading her the Bible. She's going to think she's dying. She is dying. And what greater way to leave this world than hearing the word of God. If I didn't say that because he would have slapped me and then it would have been over. We don't even like to talk about death because there's this fear of judgment. Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about how that we are under in slavery because of our fear of death. And how the gospel releases that fear. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. (laughs) One of, the, one of the saddest stories, one of the saddest things about us being human is our propensity to run away from God. We run away from our Father, and it's, it's usually because we're in shame or we have fear or, we, or, or we're, guilt, we're guilt-ridden. And you ask, well, why do we run? Well, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking it. And just so you know, I'm prepared to answer that question here this very morning. We run from the Lord our God because we don't really know him. We don't know who he really is. We don't understand the full nature and his character. We don't understand how much we are really loved. We have believed the lie. We have listened to that other voice and we feel shame and guilt, fear, and we run. Adam and Eve ran. They hid. They covered themselves. The very God that we have rebelled against, the very God that we run from in our rebellion is the only God that can ever heal and save us. And what's 
even more important, I would say, to that statement, he is not only willing to heal, forgive, and save, it is his good pleasure to do so. It is his good pleasure. He desires from the very bottom of his heart, and it's not a heart like we got, it's bigger and broader, and he desires to reconcile us back to him. And so here we are, completely unable to fix the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And then here comes the Lord. And what do we do? We run. We hide. We're fearful. We're ashamed. We try everything in our power to fix what can never be fixed. Except the Lord our God. They were made in his image. God spoke to them, but they and we have decided to listen to a very different voice. And they and we have fallen from the glory that originally has surrounded us. And God speaks to them again. And what do they do? They run in fear. And we, we continue as human beings, continue to run in fear and hide to, the, to this very day, sewing our fig leaves together to try to fix it ourselves. But here is the gospel. Here is the good news. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? For so much of my life, I've always looked at this verse as God thumping through the garden going, where are you? What have you done? Like I would do to my children. Are you kidding me? But that's not the gospel, is it? That's not the good news. That's horrible news. This is God walking through the garden Wanting to tell them, I know what you did. I knew you were going to do it. This doesn't surprise me in any way. You can't hide from me, so stop trying. And yes, you've rebelled against me. And there are going to be consequences. There has to be consequences. But in spite of all of that, I want you to know, I love you. I love you. And I, and, I, and I have provided a way to fix this. I am not going to leave you hanging. I, the Lord, your God, will save you myself by putting myself as the sacrifice for your forgiveness. Do you see the gospel? There is no greater love than that. No greater love. The gospel became long before Jesus ever walk this earth. See, the gospel is our God. Our God saves. Our God saves. Are you aware that you're restless? Are you aware that you're longing for more? And, and you don't like to be quiet because when you're quiet, all that restlessness and all those things come up inside you and you just don't want to get there. Get there. I'm here to tell you, man, our God, our God saves. 
And, and maybe, maybe those voices in your head continue to knock you down and, and beat you up. And, and they just condemn you and accuse you. And you feel fear, guilt, and, and shame. And it just won't go away. Man, I'm here to tell you, our God, our God saves. It's his desire to save. It's time to stop saving our, trying to save ourselves. It's time to stop trying to sew some fig leaves together trying to cover it up, trying to get away from it. We're never going to get rid of it. We're never going to fill that gap. We're never going to find it without our God who saves. It's only when we come to this truth, this, this, this thing we call the gospel and openness and humility and surrender ourselves to it. Our God. He saves. He will take away our guilt and our shame. He will, he will forgive us. Separate us from our sin as the east is from the west. Our God, he, he saves. And, and maybe some of you need to hear this. Maybe some of you, this is saying to you, to the man or to the woman, God is saying, where are you? Where are you? I want to save you. I want to forgive you. I want, I want to just, just lavish my love upon you. Where are you? I, I love you. I want to save you from yourself. Where are you? His desire is to empower us. His desire is to strengthen us. His desire is to make us not just survive this place. It's to thrive in this world. Our God saves. Our God, your God, my God, he saves. He saves. I want to give us a time to just sit quietly for a minute or so. I want to give you time to just put that other voice to, to, to death because that other voice is death and listen to the word of the Lord calling out to you, where are you? I want to love you. I want to forgive you. You don't have to run from me. You don't have to hide. I want to save you. I want to save you. So just take a few minutes and just sit. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. For the Lord, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. 
The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Father, I want to thank you for your word, for the promises in it. Thank you for the love that you have for your people. And may we walk in this this light that you give us in Jesus Christ. May we stop trying to sew our fig leaves together. May we stop trying to fix ourselves. May we turn to you, the God who saves. Thank you for that salvation. Thank you for that love. Your church humbly comes before you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.